There are a number of missing persons cases right here in the Carolinas, and some have received more media attention than others. These are the stories that tug at our heartstrings, make us pray it never happens to anyone in our families, and wonder if there is still any way to find closure for these missing persons and their loved ones. I'm Renee Robertson. Please join me for Missing in the Carolinas. Episode 34, an end-of-year review for Missing in the Carolinas. Hello there. I know it's been a while since you last heard from me, but things have been a little crazy in the past few months. Every few years, I sort of lose my mind and decide to join this U.S.-based nonprofit organization called National Novel Writing Month during the month of November. Writers who participate can either focus on producing 50,000 words of a new novel or a work in progress, or set their own individual goals. Personally, for me, I like participating because I need accountability in order to achieve my writing goals. Plus, I had outlined a thriller novel several months ago and wanted to see if I could flesh it out in the compressed 30-day window in November. I decided to take it even one step further and increase my word count goal from 50,000 to 60,000. The novel I worked on is called A Why Done It. Books like Girl on a Train by Paula Hawkins and Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn fall in this genre. This type of book includes three things, a detective, a secret, and a dark turn. The detective in this story isn't a real detective, by the way, but rather someone who is following clues to try and solve a mystery, like a podcaster or investigative reporter. My novel features a podcast host of a show, that shares survivor stories, and she is also trying to figure out what happened to her older sister, who disappeared while working as a camp counselor at a summer camp 10 years earlier. She teams up with a local journalist to try and breathe new life into her sister's case. This podcaster had a complicated relationship with her sister, as they were both taken in by their aunt when they were small children. The book is told from multiple points of view and the podcaster has long been an insomniac who is hesitant to take medication. I was able to weave in individual transcripts of sample podcast episodes from survivors as they leave breadcrumbs to future plot points. As you can imagine, this makes for a fast-paced story that was probably the easiest thing I've ever written, and I've written a few young adult novels in the past. I gave myself a goal of writing 2,000 words a day, which was a little difficult at times because I was still working my day job. I met my goal of a little more than 60,000 words on November 30th, but to be honest, I haven't looked at the manuscript since then. I know it needs a lot of editing before I can even show it to a few beta readers, but at least the raw material is there. Working on that novel meant I couldn't work on planning ahead on the content calendar for this podcast, so there haven't been any new episodes since November 25th. I'm grateful to North Carolina author Stacy Hawks, author of the book Dividing Ridge, for agreeing to an interview with me so I could bring you a fun episode in November. I'll be back in January with more shows about missing people in the Carolinas once I have time to look through my research and develop some new themes. For this episode, I wanted to focus on sharing an end-of-year wrap-up and discuss a little bit of the methodology that goes behind creating the episodes, where I get my ideas, and some good old-fashioned stats. Let's start with structure of the podcast first. 
As far as coming up with content, I haven't really had too much of a structure up to this point. I have a physical paper file that I put newspaper clippings in as I come across them, and I've created categories like missing teen girls or missing moms that I post on my wall, along with individual post-it notes with people's names. I'm a visual person, and this helps me see themes as they grow into full-blown episodes. For 2022, I want to be a little more structured and take a few full days to create a master content calendar, complete with national themes and holidays, and cases that I've come across and want to share. Now let's talk about how I get some of my ideas for this year's shows. I first got the idea for episode 20, Missing from the Front Yard, while I was researching another case. I found an old Charlotte Observer article that had a huge block of headshots featuring unsolved missing persons cases in North and South Carolina. The face of Eva DeBrule, with her sweet smile and prominent eyeglasses, stuck out to me, and I'd never heard her name before, so I looked her up. She was a 15-year-old girl who disappeared from her family's home in South Carolina after a morning spent mowing the grass. Pulling up old articles through the newsbank feature at my county's library led me to information I wouldn't have found by using a simple Google search, such as the fact that a man had been charged with trying to blackmail the DeBrule family, demanding $2,000 in return for the location of her whereabouts. It turns out he knew nothing about what had happened to Eva. I also learned that serial killer Henry Lee Lucas had tried to claim Eva as one of his victims, but that turned out to be one of his many lies. While I was reading everything I could about Eva DeBrule, I also found Michael Woodward's photo and found that he had disappeared under similar circumstances, right from his front yard at a military base, while his father was mowing the lawn. I knew putting the two stories together would make for a compelling episode, especially since they are both still unsolved. I got the idea for episode 21, Missing After a Night Out, after a friend reached out to mention Dale Dinwiddie of Columbia. My friend had been in college in South Carolina when Dale disappeared after going to a U2 concert and said she had always wondered what had happened to the grad student. And even though she didn't go missing from the Carolinas, I mentioned Morgan Harrington's case from Virginia because she had also gone missing while out attending a concert with friends, and I followed her case in the news until she was found deceased. While I was combing through old newspaper articles, I came across Douglas Simmons, who went missing from a Grateful Dead concert at Carter-Finley Stadium in Raleigh in 1990. I had never heard of his case before, and after a lot of searching, I discovered an obituary for him that ran in Florida. Knowing Douglas was originally from Florida, I dove into some online message boards and found notes from a family member saying that human bones and a wallet had been found in the woods just a few miles from the stadium. I never found any indication of whether or not his death was accidental or the result of a homicide. Another case I mentioned in that episode, Linda McCord and Sarah and Kimberly Boyd, was one my daughter had mentioned to me a few years ago after seeing the Dorchester 3 mentioned on Reddit. I had saved the article she sent me because I knew it would be good for a future episode, but I didn't know where I would fit the best until I started working on a script featuring people that all went missing after attending concerts or performances. This past spring, I saw the news being shared about the long-awaited identification of a murdered couple who had been found in rural South Carolina in 1976. They had been called Jane and Jacques Doe, 
and family members were finally able to identify them after the DNA Doe Project exhumed their bodies and sent tissue samples off for testing. This led me to thinking about other people in the Carolinas who had been identified recently and those who are still unknown. I dove into the research for episode 27, Unidentified People in the Carolinas, which has received more than 1,100 downloads since it aired in late May of this year. Because I work in magazine publishing as my day job, I get hundreds of press releases each week. When I got one after the Chapel Hill Police Department announced they had arrested a suspect in the murder of Faith Hedgepeth, I saw a quote from Crystal Cavalier Keck, the founder of Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls in North Carolina. I reached out to her PR contact, asking if she would agree to be interviewed for the podcast, and we ironed out the details. But before running the interview with Crystal, I researched some of the unsolved cases of Native women in my state and turned the opportunity into two separate episodes. This past fall, the memory of Susan Smith and the ill-fated news conferences she participated in after she claimed her car had been hijacked with her two young boys still inside came to my mind one day out of the blue. I looked up the date the supposed kidnapping had happened and realized it was in October. So I started jotting down notes for episode 31, Where Are the Children?, even though I have a hard time thinking about that story, so it would air around the anniversary of the case. I remembered I had filed away notes about a mother and daughter who had mysteriously disappeared one year apart from South Carolina, so I included Karina Malinowski and Annette Sagers in that episode, too. Before we continue, let's take a quick break to talk about our sponsor. I've always enjoyed writing fiction, as I mentioned earlier in this episode, but I didn't really get serious about it until I was in my 30s. After submitting to the WOW Flash Fiction Contest a few times, I was thrilled when I placed as a runner-up with my piece titled In the Depths. WOW still hosts a quarterly writing contest every three months, and I highly recommend entering it. The entry fees are minimal, and you can also purchase a critique to get feedback on your story once the contest concludes. The mission of this contest is to inspire creativity, great writing, and provide well-rewarded recognition to contestants. The contest is open globally, age is as of no matter, and entries must be in English. And the best part is that the contest is open to all genres, from romance to science fiction, to thriller suspense, to literary fiction. The Winter 2022 Flash Fiction Contest with literary agent Hannah Andrade with the Bradford Literary Agency closes on February 28th. To learn more, visit wow-womenonwriting.com and click on the contest tab. And now let's get back to the show. I wanted to mention a few of the most downloaded episodes for the year. Overall, we've received 41,400 downloads since launching the podcast in May of 2020. Given how I've only worked on growing this podcast organically, I'm very happy with those numbers and I'm confident they will grow even with just a small bit of targeted advertising. One of my favorite things is hearing people talk about my podcast without realizing I'm involved in it or when a friend or acquaintance starts listening, and then I see them recommend it to their friends on social media. I mentioned episode 20, Missing from the Front Yard, earlier. It has been one of the most well-received episodes, receiving 1,152 downloads since airing on January 14th of this year. Episode 26, 
Missing Moms in North Carolina, has received 1,232 downloads. Episode 31, Where Are the Children?, has also received 1,232 downloads. Episode 21, Missing After a Night Out, has been downloaded 1,360 times. Curious to hear what the most downloaded episode of this year was? Can I get a drum roll, please? Episode 28, Unresolved in North Carolina, has blown every other episode out of the water with 2,020 downloads since airing on June 13th. This was a bonus episode that discussed unsolved murders and deaths in my home state and didn't feature any missing people. I got the idea for this when reading True Crime Stories of Eastern North Carolina by Kathy Pickens and Charlotte, Murder, Mystery, and Mayhem by David Aaron Moore. I wasn't familiar with the cases of Foy Dixon Cooper, Davina Buff-Jones, and Vernon Shipman, Charles Glass, and Louise Davis Shoemate before then, and thought listeners would also be curious. This leads me to think I should continue my work in true crime writing, and I'm also considering creating a Patreon account where I can share more bonus true crime content like this for anyone wanting to contribute small donations. In case you're wondering how many podcast downloads are necessary in order to be attractive to potential sponsors, 5,000 downloads per episode is the magic number, from what I've been able to glean from my research. This means an episode is downloaded at least 5,000 times in the first seven days after it is released. I feel we're very close to reaching that number, as long as listeners help spread the word wherever they can, and I plan to do some public relations and marketing myself in the next year to help those numbers along. Producing more episodes focused on the more general topic of true crime rather than missing people will help draw in more listeners, too. I do take into consideration that this podcast is somewhat of a niche topic because I only focus on the Carolinas for the most part, but I feel like I can provide a more personalized podcast because I'm a journalist who grew up and still lives in this area. Before we go, I'd like to invite you to subscribe to my email list. I'm in the process of growing it so that I can announce book news as it develops and provide you with additional true crime reading and recommended books and documentaries. I promise I won't spam you, and I really only send out communication once or twice a month at this point. In October, I ran a special offer where I offered email subscribers a free download of a short story I wrote as an incentive to subscribing. I'm bringing that back for a short time. If you subscribe... By January 5th, you'll receive a free copy of the story, Deadline. Here's a brief synopsis. Cordelia Cates has made a career out of using her friends and family as inspiration for characters for her novels. But these characters turn out to be cult leaders, peeping toms, and serial killers. Her husband has left her, her daughter wants nothing to do with her, and she is living in a large and beautifully renovated lake house alone as she works on her new novel. As she grapples with the worst case of writer's block she's ever experienced, Cordelia is visited by a hostile band of ghosts. She begins to wonder if success has been worth the trade-offs, and if she herself will end up being the heroine or villain of her own story. To subscribe and receive a copy of this story, simply go to finishedpages.com backslash subscribe and enter in your email. I'll also put the link in the show notes for this episode. This brings us to the conclusion of Missing in the Carolinas. I hope you've enjoyed hearing some of the the behind-the-scenes stories about how these episodes are developed 
and which shows have received the most attention so far. If you enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor and give it a five-star rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're also now on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, so please go like our pages and get started on a discussion of the missing people profiled on the show. Do you know of a missing persons case in North or South Carolina that you think should be covered? Email me at missinginthecarolinas at gmail.com with any details you can share. And don't forget to check out our sponsor, WOW Women on Writing, and the great programs and writing contests they have to support writers at www.wow-womenonwriting.com. Cover art for this podcast was designed by Macintosh Multimedia. All episodes are researched and written by me, Renee Robertson, with sound editing provided by Mia and Daniel Robertson. Thanks so much for listening.